Well, yes, that was actually me riding a roller coaster a couple weeks ago. Um, I think the most challenging part of that ride, though, was trying to hold my phone in front of me and take this selfie video myself uh, while I was riding. My wife, credit to her, too, she was sitting beside me, and she was doing the same thing, trying to get the side angle. Uh, you couldn't see it in the video, but there was a guy behind us who um, was photobombing that video the whole time, the entire ride. But uh, how many of you, how many of that made you sick just to watch that? Let me see your hand. Okay, yeah, yeah, a few of you there. Um, I used to love to ride roller coasters. Not so much anymore. Um, when I was in my teens and 20s, I went to amusement parks just to ride roller coasters. I would ride them all day long. And, you know, the, the steeper, the higher, the faster, the more neck-snapping turns, the better I liked them. But I remember when it happened. I think it was in my 40s. We were at an amusement park with our family and kids, and we rode a roller coaster, and I got off, and I remember thinking, yeah, that just wasn't so much fun. I feel like I need to go see a chiropractor or something, you know. Now, we pay to ride roller coasters, don't we? We pay a lot of money to go to amusement parks to ride roller coasters, and so amusement parks try to deliver. You know, every year you'll hear some amusement park talking about how they have the biggest and the fastest, and the steepest, and the thrilliest, you know, roller coaster. Now, roller coasters are great at amusement parks. Not so great in life, are they? And if you've ever felt like your life was a roller coaster, it wasn't so great, was it? Um, and sometimes they just happen. You know, it's not like we have a lot of control over it. Sometimes our life feels like a roller coaster, and we're like, what did I do? You know, um, we didn't anticipate that health problem. We didn't know we were going to lose our job. We didn't expect that untimely death to come into our life. Well, we're in this series right now that we're calling On Purpose. It's about the life of Joseph. Guess what? Joseph's life was a roller coaster. It was a roller coaster ride. Adam introduced us to Joseph last week, and we're going to continue on with that today. And to do that, I want to show you what his life was like. And all I'm going to do is show you what his life was like based on the story Adam told you last week and based on what we're going to look at today, just that little snapshot near the beginning of his life, because you're going to see that his life was a roller coaster. So it starts out, we meet Joseph when he's a young man. You know, he's one of the youngest brothers, and life starts out pretty good. You know, it's like he's going up, and, you know, you find out he's his father's favorite. He's treated special by his father. You know, he has this special robe. He starts having these dreams, and God's telling him he's going to rule over not only his family, but at some point he's going to almost be ruling over much of the world. So he's on top, right? But guess what? He goes and tells his brothers about his dreams. Not the best idea. Last thing your older brothers want to hear is that, hey, I'm going to rule over you someday, right? So it angers his brothers. They hate him. And so what they do is they plot to kill him. But then they decide to be merciful. They won't kill him. They're just going to sell him to slave traders, which they do. He ends up in Egypt as a common slave after having had these dreams that he would rule the world. But as a common slave, he ends up in the house of Potiphar. 
And Potiphar notices this guy. The Bible says God was with Joseph, and he distinguishes himself among all the slaves. And Potiphar puts him in charge of his entire household. So now this prestigious man in Egypt named Potiphar, Joseph is running his household for him. But enter Potiphar's wife. She tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph does the right thing. He refuses. He runs from her. So she accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. Potiphar is furious and throws him in prison. You know, where is God in that? He did the right thing. So now he's in prison. Well, God is with him in prison. (laughs) And the warden notices him. And he distinguishes himself in prison until the warden puts him in charge of the entire prison. I'll stop right there. But you get the idea. We've looked at just the start of Joseph's life. It was a roller coaster ride. So if you're thinking, man, you're kind of describing my life. That's the way my life has gone. You're going to love Joseph. You're going to identify with him a lot. Now, we have the idea that God is there to fix our problems, right? I mean, we should be able to pray if a problem comes into our life, and God should fix it. That's why God exists, right? He's there for us. Sometimes that's what we think. So if things go wrong, I pray he fixes it. That's our view of God. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. And you'll see that in the life of Joseph, that God just didn't step in and immediately fix every problem he had. Now, what Joseph found out and what we'll find out too, it's a great lesson to learn, is that doing life God's way is always the best way. Trusting him, even when we don't understand, is the right thing to do because we don't always have the big picture. And Joseph didn't either at the time. We think, man, if I just do the right thing, God will make my life go fine. That didn't happen for Joseph at every turn. And it may not happen for you at every turn either. I mean, you know, you say... I did the right thing at work. I worked hard. I was faithful to my boss. I worked with integrity. And the other guy got the promotion because I was too honest. Or, you know, I've, I've refused to compromise. I've, I've dreamed about getting married. And I just said I wouldn't settle. I wouldn't compromise. And I'm still single and waiting. Or, you know, I put God first in my finances. Man, I'm real generous in my church. I even tithe to my church. I give generously to others and my car broke down, and my washing machine broke. What do you do with that? Well, that's kind of the way Joseph's life went for him at times. And so if you ever feel that, I think you're going to identify pretty well with Joseph. And one thing we need to understand, and perhaps it's good to get this right from the start, is this. In the middle of a trial, you have to trust. In the middle of a trial... You have to trust. And if there's one thing you'll learn from the beginning of Joseph's life, it's that. And hopefully that'll encourage you when you're going through those difficulties in life as well. So we're going to jump into Genesis 39 this morning. The story of Joseph is recorded in the last chapters of the book of Genesis. Genesis, of course, is the first book of the Bible. Um, And I would encourage you to do this. I think the story of the life of Joseph is one of the most fascinating reads in the Bible. So if you'd like to sit down, and honestly, you can probably do it in 15 minutes, and just read from Genesis 37 through the end of the book, 
and get the big picture of Joseph's life, I think it'll help you as we go through this summer series. So I would encourage you to do that. But let me start by reading to you Genesis chapter 39. And um, we'll just read the start of this chapter. Here's what it says. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. All is good, right? By the way, there are a few details in this story not mentioned that I think are worth pointing out so we get the broader context. The first one is this, it's time and what I mean by that is we don't know how long it was from the time Joseph was sold into slavery until Potiphar took notice of him. Here's what we know. He was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. 17. But we don't know how long he waited until Potiphar took notice of him. Was it two months? Was it six months? Was it a year? Was it, a se was it several years before he was promoted? And if you piece Joseph's life together, you see that there were many times of waiting. God didn't intervene immediately every time his life was headed in a downward spiral. Another thing that is not mentioned are the adjustments Joseph had to make. Joseph went from a pampered environment where he was the spoiled child to a new country New culture, new language, new diet, new job, new home, and no family or friends. Have you ever been away from family or friends for an extended period of time? Have you ever had a complete change in diet? You know, so like you're used to eating burgers and fries, and then all of a sudden you find yourself eating Vietnamese food every meal or something like that? Have you ever had to learn a new language? When my family and I moved to Germany to live over 30 years ago, um, I went to the University of Munich to learn German. And I can remember how excited it was when the day I realized I could go into a store and simply ask a question and get a response and actually understand what they said to me. I can remember sitting in meetings where the only language being spoken was German, and I was straining so hard to understand that I would leave those meetings with a headache. And you just can't imagine the adjustment this was for Joseph. Everything's new. A third thing we don't know about, we don't get to see what was going on inside of Joseph's heart. I mean, when he went to bed at night in those slaves' quarters, was he lying there thinking, why God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And yet, 
at his lowest point, we read that God was still with him. Now, some of you need to hear that this morning. Either you have been, you are now, or you will be in the future at your lowest point. And it's hard to understand this at the time. You may be asking why. And Joseph didn't get all the answers he was looking for in the moment. But he remained faithful to God in the moment, even though he didn't understand. So that later in life, he was able to look back and realize that doing life God's way is the right thing to do and the best thing to do. And as I continue to read, um, you'll see how this all unfolds. But before I move on, did you notice that what I read from Genesis 39, right when I stopped, it said that Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man? It tells us that for a reason. I mean, honestly, I, you get the impression this guy was a stud, you know? I mean, you put him on the bachelorette, and he would have been the hottest guy in the mansion, clearly. Not that I watched The Bachelorette, by the way. <laughs> Actually, though, the text is telling us this about Joseph, his appearance, for a reason. You ready to see why it's telling us that? I'll start reading in verse 7. Here we go. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing for me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, Come and sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, and he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our household tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Back down the roller coaster, Joseph goes. He sold into slavery. Things couldn't have been worse. But God's with him. Potiphar notices him. He's promoted to he has complete responsibility of everything Potiphar owned. And then this happens. So to sum up, Joseph's, or excuse me, Potiphar's wife propositions Joseph. He says no. He runs off. Let's get this straight. He does the right thing. Now make sure we understand this. He's probably at this point in life in his late teens, maybe early 20s. He's away from home and family. He's got desires. He's got strong desires. 
And she was likely a very beautiful woman. Potiphar was a man of wealth and status, so it's assumed that he had a beautiful wife. And you couldn't you make a case that God hadn't been doing Joseph any favors anyway, given his circumstances? I mean, he ends up a slave. How could he be set up any better for, for this? You know, pleasure, fulfill your desires. You couldn't blame him, right? But God had special plans for Joseph. Plans that exceeded even those dreams that Joseph had had, even those expectations. So here is the compelling question of Genesis 39. Could Joseph trust God even when he couldn't see the big picture? Could he trust God enough to say no to perhaps the strongest temptation he's ever faced? He did. Not only did he say no, he ran. He ran from it. Now, years later, he would get it when he could connect the dots. Years later, he would look back and realize that had he chosen the pleasure of this moment, it would only pale in comparison to what God had planned for him. He could have thrown it all away with one act of passion. But he said, no. How? Well, obviously from what we read, we see that Joseph had so much loyalty to his boss or his master that he didn't want to betray him. But did you notice that Joseph also added it would be a great sin against God? Wow. I mean, we're starting to see the character of this young man revealed. It's often in these moments, the difficult moments, the most challenging moments of life, that our true character is revealed. So Potiphar's wife accuses him, accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. Now you'd like to say the story ends well, right? We'd like to say, well, Potiphar figured out what happened. Potiphar trusted Joseph. He didn't believe his wife. And everything worked out just fine for Joseph. After all, like we said, if you do what's right, if you trust God no matter what, even when it's difficult, he'll rescue you, right? That's not what happened in this story. Down the roller coaster, Joseph ends up in prison. By the way, prison was right in the center of God's will for Joseph. Now, that doesn't always align with our view of God and how we think God should work in our lives. But remember, we don't always have the big picture. So let's see how this segment of Joseph's life ends for him. I'll start reading in verse 19. And by the way, as I read through Genesis 39, maybe you've picked up on this already, but pick up on the phrase, the Lord was with him. You see it occur over and over and over in this chapter alone. So let's begin, verse 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. 
and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that had happened in prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Let me ask you a question. What do you do with this? You do the right thing, you work hard, you excel, you show integrity, you make not only the honorable decision for your master, but for God. How many other 18, 19, 20-year-old guys would make a decision like this if they were alone, away from home, in the presence of a beautiful woman who comes on to him in the privacy of her house where no one would know? We know of one, right? Joseph. And this is how God treats him? He gets you thrown into prison? Really? How do we process this? Again, our view of God is that he rewards us when we do the right thing. Our view of God says if we do the right thing, everything will turn out okay. Our view of God says if we have problems or difficulties in life, God will fix them. What happened to Joseph doesn't fit our view of God. Here's what we need to understand. We are not God. Now, God has a plan. His timing, His way, His perspective, His plan. His plans are not always our plans, but His plans are always better than our plans. And we'll see this in the weeks to come as the story of Joseph unfolds. That even when we don't understand, God is working to bring glory to himself and working to bring good out of bad situations, even in our lives. So, can we learn to trust God even when we don't understand? Can we trust God when we do the right thing and we don't see immediate results from that. So where we end our story this morning in Genesis 39 is with Joseph in prison for something he did not do. He did the right thing and was punished for it. But like I said, we don't have the rest of the story yet. And I think the story of Joseph is going to help you develop your own faith in God when circumstances come into your life that are hard or that you don't understand. I want to conclude this morning, though, by getting very practical. It's amazing that Joseph made the decision that he did to be a person of integrity and not give in to a temptation like this. Alone, no accountability, something that could have been done in private, something that never would have been found out. You know, there are very few temptations that are stronger for a young man than sexual temptation. So how did he do it? How did he keep his integrity intact? By the way, because he made this decision, God was able to use him later in life in remarkable ways. So let me leave you with six practical steps we can learn from Genesis 39 and Joseph about how to deal with temptation. Here's the first. Know what the real issue is. 
In verse 9, Joseph said, how could I do such a wicked thing? But then he adds, it would be a great sin against God. Joseph knew the real issue. He knew that ultimately his decision was about his relationship with God, not about a relationship with another man's wife. He cared more about what God thought than he did a few moments of pleasure. And the Bible speaks to temptation in many places. Here's one. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. God's promise. Next, determine beforehand to do the right thing. I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, but I don't think the decision Joseph made to run away from Potiphar's wife was a spur-of-a-moment decision. Somewhere in his past, somewhere over time, he had decided that doing life God's way was the best way. He had already made up his mind long before he got into that situation that he was going to live with integrity. So that's why we could read a statement where he would say, it would be a great sin against God. I love the quote from Craig Groeschel. I think I actually shared this with you just a couple weeks ago. But here's what he says. Craig Groeschel is a pastor. He says, why resist the temptation tomorrow that I have the power to eliminate today? The decisions you make today will determine the course of your life tomorrow. So make decisions today that will lead you along the right path. Okay, here's the third step. Think about the consequences. That's what we see happening with Joseph. He says, you know, are these few minutes of pleasure really worth disappointing God and destroying my relationship with my master? You know, looking back on my life, there are many times in my life where I did not give in to temptation simply because I thought about the outcome, the potential consequences. I looked to the future and I said, you know, this isn't going to end well. I moved forward with this, so I thought to myself, let's not go there, Jerry. And, and by the way, this works for thinking about positive outcomes as well. In other words, there are upsides to doing the right thing, even if we don't see it in the present. Fourth step in dealing with temptation. Avoid tempting situations. Now, this sounds like common sense, doesn't it? But we read in verse 10 that Joseph kept out of her way as much as possible. Um, one of our sons has a golden retriever at home named Lance. Here's a picture of Lance. We have an invisible fence in our yard. In other words, you know, it's an underground wire. And if Lance gets too close to the fence, his collar will beep. If he crosses that fence, he gets zapped. So it's only happened once or twice because Lance figured out early on where the boundaries were. So he doesn't even get close. He has a pretty big area where he can run. And he has figured out right where that fence is. So he won't run up to the fence. He stops about 10 feet short of the fence anywhere in our yard. Why? He doesn't want to get zapped. He's figured it out. That principle works with temptation too. Stop short. Stay away from tempting situations when at all possible. 
Next principle is this. When confronted with sexual temptation, run. (laughs) We read in verse 12 that Joseph ran. It's interesting what the Bible says with regard to resisting sexual temptation. I don't know if it says this about any other temptation, but it doesn't say to pray about it. It doesn't say to read the Bible more. It doesn't say to take a willpower pill. It doesn't say to resist any of that. It simply says run. Why? I think it's because how strong this temptation is. We have to run from it. And finally, last thing, trust God even when you don't understand. God was working in Joseph's life. Joseph couldn't see it at the moment, at the time. You know, as I was thinking about this, as I look back over my life, I can see that God was there in the difficult times. I didn't know that at the time, but he was. And he'll be there for you too. He just asks that we trust him.